First Thessalonians, towards the back of the Bible. It's one of the smaller books. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First Thessalonians. We're going to be reading, looking in chapter 1 this morning. This will be the last sermon on this series, Essentials of the Faith. Some of you will be breathing a sigh of relief at that. It will be the last sermon on this series. There are seven essentials of the faith listed within our Constitution, which has a narrowed-down version of our doctrinal statement. We are on part 15, so that's two per point. We've averaged more or less. That's not too bad. So part 15 of Essentials of the Faith will be the last one, and it will be looking at what it means to be a Bible-based believer. In this sermon, we will not be looking at a particular essential, so we could go back and look at the essentials in regards to the Word of God. But this, I want it to be kind of a conclusion to the entire series, a conclusion to the entire matter that we have looked at. This today, I want it to be saying, okay, we have stated in the last 15 weeks, give or take a few, because we've had some in between, We have stated what we believe. Do we really believe it? We have stated, we have affirmed, we have said, I believe these statements to be true. Do we really believe it? Is it true? Have you agreed with the statements that we have been examining? And if so, I pray that is the case, the next question is, does your life reflect it? Do we believe these things to be true? And does our life reflect it? Are we radically changed by truth? Or are we merely giving it mental assent? Now, although this may take a moment or two, I want to read over the entire seven statements this morning. And as I read them, I just want you to listen to them, to contemplate them, to ask yourself, do I affirm that these statements are true? And secondly, if I affirm them to be true, which... We all should. If I affirm them to be true, do I live according to them? These are the statements within our Constitution. These are called the essentials of the faith. We believe in the Holy Scriptures as originally given by God, divinely inspired, infallible, entirely trustworthy, and the only supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct. We believe in one God, eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe in our Lord Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, his virgin birth, his sinless life, his divine miracles, his bodily resurrection, his ascension, his mediatorial work, and his personal return in power and glory. We believe in the salvation of lost and sinful people through the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. This regeneration is by faith apart from works and is accomplished through the work of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit by whose indwelling the believer is enabled to live a holy life, to witness and work for the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe in the unity of the Spirit in all true believers, the body of Christ, the local church, as the tangible expression of the body of Christ, an organized body of believers in Christ who are voluntarily joined together for public worship and evangelism, teaching the word, fellowship with the saints, observance of the ordinances, exercise in prayer, and who are commissioned with the responsibility to administer discipline. 
We believe in the resurrection of both the saved and the lost. They that are saved unto eternal life, and they that are lost unto eternal damnation. That is the essential statement of faith for our church. So, once again, first question, and this is rhetorical. Do we affirm these statements to be true? And second question, if you affirm these statements to be true, do you, do I, live according to them? Just to give you an example before we read in 1 Thessalonians, do we believe this statement to be true and do we live according to it? The first statement, because it deals with the Holy Scriptures, the Bible, the Word of God, it says the Holy Scriptures, as originally given by God, divinely inspired, infallible, entirely trustworthy, and the only supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct. Do you believe that? It's a simple yes or no. Do you live that? It's a simple yes or no, isn't it? It's a difficult one. Practically speaking, it says, I believe that this book, the Word of God, is given by God. Do I handle the Word of God as the Word of God? The statement says that we believe it is divinely inspired. That means that the thoughts and the intents and the words that are all of God, it has come from God. The plans of God have been revealed. His thoughts about Himself and about ourselves have been revealed in the Word of God. It is divinely inspired. We affirm that we believe that. Do we live accordingly? Do I trust? Do you trust what he says in his word? If it is divinely inspired, then we would be fools not to fully trust what is within the word of God. But practically speaking, do you trust that it is the word of God? In every area, regardless of what area of your life it is speaking to, do you trust that it is his word? It is infallible in the original writing, so it is without mistake and impossible for there to be mistake in the original writings. Do I take what it says as absolutely true, even when I cannot understand it? Or do I just affirm it in my head and don't actually believe it in my heart? Do I take it as truth? It says here in the statement that it is, and this is, the, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where it gets hard. It says it is the only supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct. We believe that. Does our life reflect it? That this is the authority for my, for my life. That this is the th- authority for what I think and what I feel and what I do. All of a sudden, affirming it here and affirming it here are vastly different things, are they not? My challenge for us this morning, do we believe it to be true? And does our life reflect that. And that's just looking at one of the essential statements of truth. Even there, in the first of the seven statements of the faith, there is possibility that we can agree with it in our head, but not in our heart. We profess that it is true, but we all too often do not live as if it is true. And that brings us to a dilemma. If we say we believe something to be true, but do not act accordingly, do we really believe it to be true? Or are we merely deceiving ourselves? If we say we believe it, but it doesn't change our action, our attitude, our heart, 
do we really believe it? We read in James that faith without works is dead. That means there is no such thing as faith that does not produce something. In this case, it is good works. Because the reality is that what you believe dictates what you do. It's not the other way around. What you believe dictates what you do. What you do reveals what you believe. And is a better judge of what you believe, a better statement often of what you believe than what you say. Do we believe? And does our life reflect it? What you believe dictates what you do. Right action flows from right belief. And wrong action flows from wrong belief. Apathy or inaction, this is a harder one. It's easy to say right action flows from right belief and wrong action flows from wrong belief. But what about apathy and inaction? Where does it flow from? Lack of belief or disbelief. If we say we believe something but it produces no marked change in us. In other words, we live just like those who do not claim to believe that truth. Then I would propose that we don't actually believe it. The unbeliever thinks that they are in control of their own life. They believe that they are in control of their own life, that they are masters of their own destiny, and so they plot and they plan and they manipulate to get their way to one degree or another. That's the unbeliever. The believer believes in the sovereignty of God, that God is sovereignly in control of all things, and the believer plots and plans and manipulates to get their own way. That should not be so. At least the unbeliever is honest in what they don't believe or what they do believe. Well, too often we as believers are the dishonest ones. We say that we have the truth and that we believe the truth, and yet all too often our actions prove the lie. Now, I'm not saying this just to thump on you this morning. Well, I am a little bit. I'm saying it to challenge you to honestly consider, once again, do you actually believe what you say you believe? I'm saying this to challenge us, to challenge me, because I fail in this repeatedly, and it is a rebuke against me. Do I actually believe what I say I believe? And if my actions are measured, or a measurement of what I believe, and they are, then what do they say that I actually believe, especially in regards to the essentials of the faith? I'm not going to do this right now, but it would actually be productive. We went through each of these essentials, and we have held them up to the light of Scripture. And we have said, therefore, these are scriptural. We believe them to be true. It would actually be productive for us to take and to go through them one at a time and to hold them up, not in light of Scripture necessarily, but in light of our lives. In light of Scripture, they are true. In light of our lives, are they true or are they a lie? Are we Bible-based believers? It really goes back to that first essential of the faith. Do we believe the word of God? And in that belief, are we bringing our lives into line with it? The holy scriptures as originally given by God, divinely inspired, infallible, entirely trustworthy, and the only supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct. Are we Bible-based believers? The doctrinal statement that we have looked over has been biblically based. It has been an overview of the non-negotiable truths that we affirm. This is key or paramount truths of the Christian faith. These are items that the Word of God clearly and unwaveringly proclaims. If you are a Bible-based believer, you should be able to affirm the truths of the Word of God, both theoretically and practically. You claim them to be true in both your head and in your heart. You claim them to be true. You affirm them to be true both in word and in deed. 
I want to look at the believers in Thessalonica this morning and see the interaction that they had between receiving, believing, and living the word. So we're going to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Keep in mind that the church in Thessalonica was a church that was planted by Paul on his second missionary journey. And as far as we know, Paul didn't spend a lot of time in Thessalonica because they ran him out of town. It says, I think it was three weeks, and then the next morning he escaped out of town. They actually during the night. But there was a riot, there was a mob that was put together. So as far as we know, he was not there for a terribly long time. There's some discussion about exactly when he left Thessalonica. But the church in Thessalonica was a Bible-based church, and it was a church that was planted by Paul, and it was a church that faced opposition and adversity. Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. May God bless to us the reading of his word. In verse 3, Paul gives thanks for the believers in Thessalonica, for their work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are qualities of the church in Thessalonica. But notice what these qualities are based on. First, it is because they are the elect of God. That is, those who responded in faith to the gospel were those who God had chosen and called to be his own. That is the case throughout all of time. God in his mercy and grace, remember, he is not bound to save anyone, but in his mercy and grace has chosen to save some. Who are those God saves? They are the elect. Who are the elect? All those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they were believers because they were called by God. But not only are the believers their elect, but they are also those who heard the word. And we see here in this passage that Bible-based believers are those who hear the word, receive the word, live the word, and preach the word. There's a few other things that could be said about Bible-based believers. But initially here from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, hear the word, believe the word, live the word. And that's where we're going to focus today a little bit and preach the word. Paul starts in verse 5, 4. Paul gives thanks for their work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope for or because our gospel did not come to you in word only, it says, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. Bible-based believers hear the word. They heard the word. And I pray that you have heard the word, that you are actually hearing the word. And it wasn't just a word that they heard. But the word that they heard was the gospel preached, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. He died on the cross to save us. 
wretched sinners from our sin, from the penalty for our sin. That is why Jesus Christ came. They had heard the gospel preached, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that after Jesus Christ died for our sins, he also rose again, defeating sin, defeating death in the grave, and he ascended into heaven. And he is at the right hand of God the Father. Scripture tells us interceding for us so that when we come to God, when we cry out to God, we go through Jesus Christ, the one who was sacrificed for our sin. They heard the gospel. Now, it might be a little difficult and probably unnecessary to strictly differentiate between having heard the gospel and having received the gospel, but there is a distinction there. They heard it, but they also received it. It says the word came to them. They heard it, and it wasn't just ordinary a word. It wasn't hollow or basis. It was words empowered by the Holy Spirit. It was words which came with assurance, the gospel which came with assurance. That means that it came with confidence. The source that they heard it from, they could have confidence in. Why? Because Paul and Silvanus and Timothy were living out the gospel. They were living the truth of the word of God. So when they preached the word of God, it came out with confidence, and it could be received with confidence. They heard it. And the confidence of the word of God proclaimed. But not only did they hear it, it is necessary to hear. They did receive it. They went from hearing to receiving. We see that in verse 6. Bible-based believers received the word. You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word. The Thessalonians didn't just hear the word, they received it. The word having there indicates the sequence of events. Having received the word, they became followers. Having received it, having taken it in, that's literally what the word received means. To take in hand. They took it up, they heard it, they accepted it, they let it sink into their hearts and mind. There is a big difference between hearing something and receiving something. How many married couples do you hear what the other person is saying but you don't actually receive it? It doesn't get past the verbal communication to actually get into our head or our heart. You've also seen it in your children. How many times do you communicate something to your child and they hear you, but they don't get it? They're not receiving. We're to hear the word and receive the word. Bible-based believers receive the word. And that's the beginning of, of implementing it for the next step of living it. Because if you don't receive the truth of the word, In other words, allow it to go from your head to your heart. You're never going to be able to live the word by his empowering. It goes beyond hearing it. And look at how they received it. They heard it in power by the Holy Spirit. They heard it in confidence or assurance. They received it, and it says they received it in much affliction. It says in Acts chapter 17 that... In Thessalonica, the Jews who did not believe, it says, Becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathered a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason. That is where Paul and Silas had been staying. That's a little bit of opposition. The guys who didn't like them got a mob together and sent them over to the house, and they attacked the house, and they hauled Jason out of the house. This is the opposition that they faced. They received the word, those who did believe, those who heard it and received it, they received it in much affliction. And also it continues to say, and in or with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Those aren't, that's not a contrast. That's actually a connection there. They received the word in much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit. They didn't receive the word in every scenario being great and with the joy of the Holy Spirit because of that. 
They received the word in much affliction and with the joy of the Spirit. Bible-based believers, hear the word. Receive the word. Regardless of your scenario, whether all is well or all is horrible, receive the word in the joy of the Holy Spirit. Affliction and joy marked their receiving the gospel. That evidently goes beyond just hearing it. Even though there was intense opposition, there was joy in having taken to heart the teaching of the gospel. That is a good mark for us as well. Do we hear it only, or do we receive it with joy, even when things are not the way we would desire them to be? Bible-based believers hear the word, they receive the word, and thirdly, Bible-based believers live the word. This is one that I want to pound home a little bit today, as you can probably tell by the introduction of the sermon. New Testament believers didn't just hear it, they didn't just receive it, but their lives were transformed by the word of God. We see that all the way through this passage. Yes, they believed the truth of the word, but also their lives clearly reflected that they believed the truth of the word. In verse 3, we see Paul giving thanks for their work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. They were living out the gospel. They were living out the word. The work of salvation is actually that they trusted in Jesus Christ. Yes, it goes beyond there, that they continue to do the works of salvation. But if you go back to John chapter 6, verse 29, what does Jesus Christ say the greatest work is? This is the work of God. In other words, this is what is most important as far as a work in God's mind, God's eyes. This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. Here they had, they were marked by their faith, the work of faith. They were also marked by their labor of love. That is, that they had shown love for Paul and Silas, and they also continued to show love. A life that is transformed by the word of God is a life that operates out of love. They were patient in hope, it says, and twice it refers to that, that they were looking for the coming of Jesus Christ. Those are a couple of things we see initially in one verse about how those in Thessalonica lived out their faith. But it continues. They lived out the word. They really believed what they professed to believe. It was transformational. Verse 6 says, They became followers of Christ. They walked in the way of Jesus Christ. They weren't just fans or observers. They were active participants. They looked like and talked like and walked like Jesus Christ did, which is what we are called to do. They were so expressive of their faith. They were so expressive of being people of the word in practical ways that verse 7 says they became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believed. They were an example to other believers not just to the world around them, but to other believers as well. They were an example. That is remarkable. They displayed in what they did their faith in Jesus Christ, their reliance, their trust in the word. It is one thing to stand out in the world. It's another thing to be noticed in the church, in my opinion, as being people who really believe what they say they believe, who live what they profess to believe. This is an example of adhering to the word of God among others who have also heard and received the word of God. Perhaps they were no different in the hearing of it. They heard it, or the receiving of it even. But they were different in the application of the word. They were unique in the application of the word. They had to be. Otherwise, nobody would have said that they're an example. They applied themselves diligently to this. 
They were more invested in it. They were perhaps more zealous or passionate about it. Whatever it was, they stepped out in faith, love, and hope in an observable and an exemplary way. An observable and an exemplary way. That's how they lived their faith. That's how they lived the word. I want to live that way. To live my faith, to live so according to the word, according to what I say I believe is within the word of God, that others within the church would look at me and say, wow, he really believes what he says he believes. Or wow, he really takes the word of God for the word of God. Once again, thumping on you, but I'm thumping on me. Because as believers, we have been all too often disjointed from what we say and what we do. If nothing else, check the attitude of our heart. We believe God is glorious and gracious and merciful and mighty and powerful and wonderful and awesome and incredible. On and on and on it goes. He truly is. That He is powerful beyond what we can fathom. That He knows all things. That He is involved in an eternal work. We know all of these things. And yet, too often we live as if we're apathetic to it. And that's the challenge I have for believers today. That's the challenge I have for us as a church today. We've read through and we've studied, we've looked at these essentials of the faith. We believe them to be true. One of the ways that they lived out the word preached to them there in Thessalonians was it says they turned to God from idols and served the living and true God. Now, we have to recognize that they probably actually had literal idols. There was religious systems that they were involved in where they had idols of wood and rock, I'm sure, and precious stones. And it says they turned to God from idols. And we don't have that. I hope you don't have an idol. Not like that. But the principle is still the same. They turned to God from idols. It's interesting that it didn't say it the other way. It didn't say it turned from idols to God because that would give us the idea they, they came to the conclusion that their idols weren't really up to snuff and so they went seeking something else. No, they heard the gospel, they received the truth of the word and they turned to God. And in turning to God, they realized that their idols were absolutely useless, that they don't satisfy, that there is nothing there. Well, what about us? We make idols. We just don't carve them. We just don't mold them. We still take things and we place them above God, though, don't we? The mark of the Thessalonica church, of those in Thessalonians who were believers, was that they turned to God from idols. You have idols, things you really, 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 really value. Maybe even good things. Maybe even things like your spouse or your kids. Really good things. Do you place them above God? Maybe yourself. Maybe not your kids or your spouse. Maybe yourself. Do you place that above God? We make idols. One of the marks of those who live according to the word of God, who really believe the word of God and, and, and act it out, they live it out, as we turn from idols, return, sorry, to God from idols, we serve the living and true God. This passage is full of transformation. When they received, when they heard and received the truth of the gospel, they lived the truth of the gospel. Are our lives full of transformation that comes from having heard and received the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word? Now perhaps you say, I don't really need to change that much to look like this. Or God doesn't really need to do that big a work in me. You don't have actual idols. Perhaps you became a believer at such a young age that there is nothing that you forsook 
in light of following Jesus Christ or in light of the wonder of Christ. But maybe a better way of looking at it is looking at the transformational work rather than the actual things we should or could have given up. If you live according to the word of God, your life will look dramatically different from those who do not live according to the word of God. Your life will be marked by contrast, not in what you had to give up necessarily, but in what you pursue. Your life will be marked in contrast with those who do not believe the word of God in what you pursue. Have your passions and your desires been transformed? Have your inclinations been transformed? Have your actions and your attitudes been transformed from the way of the world to live according to the word? That goes back to the study we did in 1 John, doesn't it? Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. The love of the Father, if anyone loves the world, it says the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Living for the world, or living out the word. Really, that's what it comes down to in my mind. Living for things of the world, or living out the word. The last point, preach the word. So, hear the word, receive the word, live the word, and preach the word. We hear the Thessalonians preach the word, that it went everywhere from them. It says, for from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth. And like that picture sounded, that's not been whispered. It's not even been testified to. The word of the Lord has been trumpeted forth. Is actually what that word means. It's as if you're in a valley and you're continuing to hear the echoes of the trumpet blowing down the valley. The word from you, he says, who heard, received, and lived the word. The word of God is being trumpeted out. It is being spread abroad. That's a theme that I often repeat. This is something I call us to regularly. This is something God is calling us to to witness, to testify, to proclaim, to herald the message of salvation. Do we do it? Do we act upon it? I want to really nail it down for you this morning. Do we really believe God? Do we believe that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation? In other words, that through the death, burial, and resurrection and the proclamation of it, that people will be saved by God's grace. Do we believe it? It's clearly within the word of God. Do we believe that God desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance? That God desires that men and women everywhere would repent, that is, turn from their sin and trust in him, have a change in heart, change in attitude. The word of God says it. Do we believe it? Do I believe it? Do we believe that the wages of sin is death, spiritual separation from God for eternity, but the gift of God is eternal life? Do we believe it? And do my actions and my attitudes prove that I believe it? Or do my actions and my attitudes deny that I believe it? In and of yourself, your actions and your attitudes will deny. It is a work of the Holy Spirit within you. I don't want you leaving here thinking that I must muster up, I must pull myself up by my bootstraps. But seek God. Get into his word. Pray he would give you a passion for his word. 
and that he would equip and enable and push you to live out what you profess that you believe. As we have worked through these essentials of the faith, I pray that you have been challenged, at least to consider what you believe, but I pray that you have gone beyond considering your beliefs to being stirred up to live according to those beliefs. How you live reflects what you truly believe. How is that working for you? If you're still not sure, go back to 1 Thessalonians. Hear the word, receive the word, live the word, and preach the word. You will not go wrong with starting in the word of God. That is, after all, where the essentials of the faith come from, the word of God. Get into the word, ask God to convict you by the word. Then step out in obedience to the word and see if God will not transform your life to look like the word. And by that, I don't just mean to look like a book, but to look like the person, the word who became flesh, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this series and for the opportunity we have had to examine those paramount truths, those key truths of your word, those non-negotiables, these essentials. I pray that, that these truths have been, in one way, pounded into our minds. Now, we've taken them beyond just considering them and evaluating them and reviewing them, and that we can clearly say we know, we believe, we affirm that these are true. I pray that it would not be left there, but that what we affirm in our mind, the truth upon which we stand, would radically change everything about us, not through our own might, but as we step out in faith that you would transform us, that you would radically alter us. Forgive us, I pray, for times when we have been apathetic about your truth. For the many times when I, when we, have said we believe it and yet we, we run from applying it to our lives. Lord, please forgive us. So thank you that you are faithful and just to forgive us. And you cleanse us. And as you make us whole, Lord, empty us of our, our own ways, our own plans, our own dreams, and fill us with your Holy Spirit so that it be your ways, your plans, your intentions, your direction in our life and through our lives to your glory and honor and praise and to the salvation of many around us. For we pray this in the glorious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.